0: Hello, and welcome to the Crossway Christian Church Podcast. We are a church who wants to practice the way of Jesus together. If we can help you in any way, let us know. And be sure to check out our website at crosswaycc.org. Now let's get back to the podcast. Well, Merry Christmas, everyone. It is a joy to be with all of you here from all of our campuses in Nashua and Milford and such a joy to get to celebrate with you. My name is Dave Ripper. I serve here as our lead pastor. And if this is your first Christmas at Crossway, then you are in really good company because it's my first Christmas here and I'm thrilled to be here. This past year, my wife Erin and I have just loved getting to be a part of this community. And so if you are new... This is a big family where there is a place where you can belong, and I am so confident of that. So welcome. We are thrilled that you could be here today. But over the next couple of days, I'm willing to bet that there's a really good chance that you might get a gift that you have absolutely no idea what to do with. Anyone ever received a gift like that before? You start unwrapping it and your face is kind of like, huh? And then you realize they're looking at you and you kind of try and turn that into a smile. Wow, this is really great. You know, anyone ever get a gift like that? Well, I'd like for you just to turn to a person sitting next to you, share maybe one of the strangest or most pointless gifts that you can remember getting, and just be sure the gift that you are talking about was not given to you by the person you're gonna say this to, okay? Think hard. I'll be sure to share after service with somebody what gift you brought. As I was doing some internet shopping this year, I stumbled upon a few gifts that I hope somebody here gets. And as you will not know what to do with that. The first one is this. These are called the hander pants. Have you ever felt naked under your gloves? Probably not, but that's why they've made the hander pants. They are... Hands are underwear for your hands to wear under your gloves. I hope someone will shake my hand in the weeks to come with some hander pants on. I don't think you'll know what to do with those. The next one I think is an epic gift. I hope, so, I, hope I, I get this. Yes, this is called the Bob Ross Toaster. The next uh, brunch that you host, you should raise your culinary game a couple notches because you can channel your culinary creativity by burning Bob Ross's face onto your bread. That's no better way to make your guests feel loved. This third one here, I think, is something I really do want to get. This is called the Human Tortilla. And it looks just about as fun. It's a blanket if you're wondering what is up with that. It is a blanket. And the best part about giving this gift is that it comes almost ready to wrap. It's very easy to wrap. Bad joke. Just keep on moving. Those are a few gifts I hope somebody gets here this Christmas. But of all the gifts that you could be given or that you could receive, what would you say is the greatest gift of all? What's the greatest gift of all? Now, some of you are probably thinking that annual ski pass, but since you're in church, you know, the probably better and more appropriate answer is probably Jesus. That's kind of the Sunday school answer that a lot of us think of. But, but tonight, yes, I would say Jesus is the greatest of all gifts that we could ever receive. But I'm not just saying that because I'm kind of paid to say that. I have found that Jesus is the most important gift any of us could ever be given But for a lot of us, if we come to a service like this, or maybe an Easter service, and you've kind of heard this story multiple times about Christmas again and again, you sometimes are kind of puzzled to think, well, what difference does a gift like this really make to me? What can I really do with it? Or is it kind of the gift that I just hear about a couple times a year, and I just sash it aside? Now, tonight, I hope that we will see the relevance of the gift of Jesus for each and every one of us. And the key to understanding how the story of Jesus can connect with our story can be found in these names that have been given to Jesus. Well, all this month, we have been talking about what a beautiful name the name of Jesus is. And we've been going back 700 years before Jesus was born to look at what the prophet Isaiah had to say about what this coming Messiah would be like. And to describe him, he shared four key, five key names. In Isaiah 9, 6, we've read this earlier, and it says that for, to us, a child has been given, a born for us, a son given to us, authority rests on his shoulders, and his name is called Wonderful Counselor. Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Now the context in which these names of Jesus were shared says and sh- helps unlock why these names, why this Savior was so important for the people then and why he's so important for us today as well. Earlier in verses nine, uh, chapter 9, verses 1 through 2, we find out that there will be no more gloom for those who are in anguish. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who lived in a land of deep darkness, on them light has shined. See, in Israel in those days, there was an impending army called the Assyrians that kind of hovered in the backdrop of their life, waiting to strike to conquer these people. And so gloom and fear and anxiety really characterized the day of that time and age. And while we don't have forces that are surrounding us in our day and age, and we're grateful for that, darkness and gloom and anguish still seem to pervade life now. Anxiety levels continue to rise. Social isolation seems to prevail more and more. There seems to be an inner darkness that a lot of us carry with us. It might be our self-talk. But out of such a gloomy picture... We get a vision of a light that is about to shine. And if we're going through tough times, all we need to do to receive the greatest gift of Jesus this Christmas is whisper his name, is to pray to him. We can pray to our wonderful counselor. Jesus is a counselor that we can call on and we can count on. Where you feel distress, he wants to bring comfort. Where you feel self-doubt, he wants to offer you assurance. Where you feel lost and unsure of what's next, then in your future might feel a little uncertain. He wants to offer you direction. We just need to call out his name. Wonderful counselor. And not only is Jesus a wonderful counselor who knows all that we're going through, he is a mighty God who can and wants to do something about it. Jesus says that my grace is sufficient for you, no matter what you're going through, no matter what doubts or struggles or difficulties that you're facing. For my power is unleashed in weakness. My power is made perfect where you feel inadequate, where you feel like you're not enough, where you feel insecure. As we admit those weaknesses, those insecurities, those fears, those worries, those concerns, Jesus' power can be unleashed. And not only is he a great and mighty God, he is an everlasting father who desires to father each and every one of us, to be the father that many of us have longed for, to give us those words of affirmation and validation that we have yearned to hear. Jesus gives those to us because he calls us his children. And if we are Jesus, his sons and his daughters, then that means our identity is that we are loved. We don't have to perform to earn the right identity. We don't, Our identity is not based on what other people think of us or what we have or what we lack. But we are who we are loved by. And we are loved with a never-ending love by an everlasting Father. And Jesus has also come to be the Prince of Peace. As you think about your life and even some of the family situations and Christmas parties you're maybe a little nervous to attend, where do you need peace right now? Jesus has come to help us find the right relationship with God, to have peace with him. He's come to help bring reconciliation among relationships that have been torn and severed. He wants to help peace occur between us, one another. He's come to bring peace to the world, and he even wants us to have peace with ourselves. And as I pastor and listen to more and more people, it sounds like peace is just something we need. Our negative self-talk, some of the ways that we just put so much pressure on ourselves is robbing us of life. And Jesus has come to offer us something so much better, to give us so much more. We only need to cry out to Jesus, be my peace. But the reason that Jesus can be a wonderful counselor, a mighty God, an everlasting father, a prince of peace, is because of the last name that Isaiah shares, that he can be Emmanuel, the God who is actually with us here and now, Isaiah seven fourteen puts it like this. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Look, the young woman is with child and shall bear a son and shall name him Emmanuel. 700 years later, this prophecy was fulfilled. I love how Matthew, the first writer of the Gospels, puts it. He says this. Now in the birth of Jesus the Messiah, verse 18 of chapter Matthew 1, now the birth of Jesus the Messiah took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been engaged to Joseph, but before they lived together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. Her husband Joseph, being a righteous man and unwilling to expose her to public disgrace, planned to dismiss her quietly. But just when he had resolved to do this, An angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you are to name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Let's remember that. Verse 22, all of this took place to fulfill what had been spoken by the prophet Isaiah. Look. The virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall name him Emmanuel. Emmanuel. Now, if you're paying close attention, you might be a little curious as to why Isaiah spells Emmanuel with an I and Matthew spells it with an E. And with, they both mean God is with us, but Emmanuel is an Old Testament word, it's a Hebrew word. It means God's with us. And so when we translate from Hebrew to English, it translates with an I. And then when Matthew takes it, he takes it from Hebrew and then puts it into Greek, which is what the New Testament was written in. And so when we go from the Greek to English, it kind of appears with the knee. Kind of a subpoint, but for those of you taking score out there, I want to make sure I was clear about why. The two different spellings, we didn't make a typo up there, believe it or not. So, but the bottom line is that Emmanuel means God is with you and me. He is here. God is with us. I love this name, Emmanuel, because not only do I think it gives us a clue into who Jesus is, how we can relate with him, and what he has come to do, but the name Emmanuel really helps to describe from the start to finish of the Bible what it's really all about. Now, as you uh, read church history and you study some of the big theologians, there's a a whole running dialogue and conversation about If you had to summarize what the Bible is all about in just a word or two or phrase, what would that thing be? Some people would say the Bible is all about the glory of God. Other great theologians and biblical scholars have said it's about the kingdom of God or justification by faith or the magnificence of God. And there's a good case to be made for all of these. But a couple decades ago... A real hero of mine, a man named Dallas Willard, who was a very smart man who taught philosophy at the University of Southern California and was really the most Jesus-like person we ever encountered. He made this hypothesis. His take is that the whole Bible is about the with God life. The with God life. Or Emmanuel, God is with us. The with God life. And as he shared that with people, and I first heard that it was like scales kind of just came down from my eyes, and I started to see that, yes, all along, the Bible is telling the story of how God has wanted to have a relationship with you and me, how he loves us, and he doesn't want us to live life apart from him, he doesn't want us to live independent of him, he doesn't even want our lives to just be for him, but he wants to live life with us. He's inviting us to live our everyday, ordinary lives, every moment in an interactive, loving relationship with him, just like we might have with our closest friends or family members. God is with us. And if that's what the Bible is all about, then perhaps the biggest question that we could ask this Christmas, and perhaps maybe the most important question of all, is this. Are you living the with God life or the without God life? Are you living the with God life We're the without God life. In the beginning of the Bible, we see that Adam and Eve cling to this with God life. They're with the Lord in the garden, and it's a beautiful relationship. But pretty soon into the story, something goes terribly, terribly wrong. Adam and Eve give in to temptation. They're succumbed by it, and they end up sinning, disobeying God. And this life with God that they were designed to experience in its perfect form was now severed. It was broken off. And everything that's wrong with the world today, pain, suffering, natural disasters, disease, diagnoses, divisions, all of these things, find their root in this original separation from the with God life that we were made to experience. Let me try and illustrate it this way. If this is God, this is kind of Father, Son, Holy Spirit, and this is us, God created us to have a Great relationship with us, and the trajectory and the direction of our lives was to be fully toward God Himself. This sort of relationship is what we were created for. Yet, we've chosen something else. Here again is God, and here is us. And instead of a life that was directed fully toward God, this is what's kind of happened, and this is what's really gone wrong with the world. Instead of being fully directed toward God, We turn the direction of our lives back toward ourselves. And throughout the history of the church, people say the fundamental problem, what sin really is, is that we as people are bent in on ourselves. We're self-absorbed instead of being God-centered. We think it's all about us, and we put ourselves before others and put before God's ultimate purposes and everything that has gone awry is a result of the fact that we are bent in on ourselves. Think of an area of your life right now where you're experiencing some conflict, some turmoil. If you or the other person wasn't so bent in on yourself, is it possible that you would have a greater harmony, a greater relationship? Think about our world, from a, even our country, from a more macro perspective If we weren't so bent in on ourselves, would we be so divided? Would it be so hard for us to talk to one another in a civil fashion? The problem with the world is that we are bent in on ourselves. And the reality is we have no idea that that is the case which is why Jesus came. He wanted to rescue us from our sins, which means he wants to rescue us from the self-absorbed, bent-on-ourselves our, way of life so that we have the potential through his life, through his sacrificial death and the resurrection, to have a life where we can be in constant communion and direction with him. We are invited into this with God life. And this life uh, that is available now is not something we have to wait for until we die. No, eternal life is knowing Jesus here and now. And yet, during this season of remembering Christ's birth, we look expectantly for the time when he is going to return. I love how Revelation chapter 21 puts it. Jesus says this, See, the home of God is among mortals. He will dwell, what with them? What's that next word? With them. They will be his peoples and God himself will be with them. There's that with God life. Verse 4 He will wipe every tear from their eyes. Death will be no more. Mourning and crying and pain will be no more. Can you imagine? For the former things have passed away. This is all the former life where death and sin and mourning are commonplace because we're bent in on ourselves. But Jesus is now giving us the opportunity to shift from this sort of way of living to the life that we were created for more and more. It won't be perfect, but we are invited this Christmas to receive Jesus as this greatest gift. And so if you've been struggling trying to do it on your own, holding everything on your own shoulders, trying to be the best by yourself, Jesus is inviting you to so much more. All we have to do is say, Jesus, thank you for coming to be with me. I want to be with you. I want to be with you. But Jesus won't force himself on us. He gives us the option of choosing differently. We can live instead of the with God life, we can live the without God life. And a lot of us do it. And I don't want to heap any condemnation or judgment on anyone. My challenge tonight would simply be this. If you're living somewhat of a without God life, And why? What's the better alternative? Are you doing it because you don't believe that God is real? If so, then then what do you believe in? Or maybe you feel like you can have a better way of philosophy of life than Jesus does. If so, what is that? And if it's working, I would love to hear about it. (laughs) Maybe we're just so distracted by all the busyness and chaos of life that we haven't noticed that God is with us and near us. Perhaps. We've been burned by church. Or maybe we've gone through some really painful things. Know that God, even though it seems like, how could a good God allow all these things to happen? Know that God is near to the brokenhearted. And he desires to be near to you where you suffer, where you're disappointed, where your heart aches and breaks. He's the God who is with us. But no matter what you've gone through, no matter how much of that without God life you've been living, Jesus gives us an open invitation to choose to live a with God life here and now. You can just pray to him and say, Jesus, I want to live life with you because you came here for me. It's a simple prayer that any of us can pray. And prayer is a big thing that gets us in on this with God life. We want to invite you to come back in January as we kick off a brand new series called Prayer Life. It's an opportunity where we can really dive deeper into learning what this with God life is all about and how we are invited to experience it. Life is for prayer and prayer is for life. And we're going to help you actually learn how to pray. Even if you feel like you know how to do it or maybe you feel ashamed that you don't pray enough or would like to pray more, this will be a really practical way that you can take next steps toward living this with God life. But before then, I just want to give you a picture to help spark your imaginations for what this kind of life could really look like here and now. About five years ago, uh, my wife and I led a mission trip down to the South American country of Ecuador. We were way up in the Andes Mountains uh, in a community called Achuyay. And it was rumored that we'd be able to see one of the tallest mountains in South America from there called Chimborazo, a mountain over 20,000 feet high. But what, uh, what we were doing was trying to build a clean water system for people that were very oppressed uh, in that region. They were farming very steep, uh, difficult hillsides. And so uh, we were joining together with a great group of engineers to help build this water system. And it was in a remarkable time. While I was there, I was reading a book that included this uh, quotation, this poetic statement from Gerard Manley Hopkins. It says this, Christ plays in 10,000 places, lovely in limbs and lovely in eyes, not his. To the Father, through the features of men's and people's faces. I just love this idea that Christ is at play, he is at work, that we live in such a God-bathed world, a world that's permeated with God, that we can try and find God in all things. And that's exactly what I tried to do, to try and see God in the people we were serving with, to experience him and the beauty around us, and with our teammates as we were a part of the work that God was doing. We wanted to see Christ at play, Christ at work, not just in these big, spectacular ways, but in some of these small moments. And we sure got to see Christ at play. Toward the very end of the week, there was a big storm that uh, came in and left almost as soon as it emerged. After the rain cleared away, this Beautiful sunlight started to pour into this community. I ran to get my camera to try and capture the moment. I opened up the aperture of my camera as wide as I could. That's the part that helps let light in. And as the light was pouring in, we started to see uh, people come out to play an incredible game of soccer. Boys just running, and it looked like the field was a field paved with gold. It was just stunning and beautiful. The girls started to sing and dance and and just play with a reckless abandon, such innocence of just being so full of joy to be in the moment. It was striking. It was beautiful. It was causing all of us to see Christ is at play right around us. This is a God-bathed world where God is really with us. And then the most spectacular thing I have maybe ever witnessed in my life occurred. The real Cloud cover started to peel back. The curtain of creation opened up and we got to see the expansive mountain, Chimborazo, that we had longed to see the entire week. 20,700 feet of sheer power and majesty and stunning, staggering beauty. As we looked at that mountain, I don't think any of us could ever imagine God not being there. And what was amazing about it? Is that that mountain was there all along. We just needed the clouds to move away for us to see it. In a very similar way, I believe God is with us. This with God life has been available, but we haven't been able to see it or recognize it. Because of our kind of bent in toward ourselves lives, we've kind of put up this cloud cover around us that makes this with God life distant from us. We have a pride in a shell that makes us kind of impermeable. But slowly but surely, Jesus wants to let that light break in. Tonight, I want to challenge you to let the light of Christ break in. Open up the aperture of your soul. Here at Crossway, we love to talk about spiritual practices. Our mission is about practicing the way of Jesus. And spiritual practices are like those apertures that just open up our hearts to the Lord so that his light can pierce our darkness. And so tonight, I want to simply invite you to just pray the name Emmanuel. Emmanuel. As you leave this place and go to your car, imagine that God is with you and whisper Emmanuel. When you go from your car to your home, believe that God could be in the ordinary moments of your home life, whisper Emmanuel. When you go back to work, whisper and pray Emmanuel. Believe in God could be there and that he wants to partner with you in your work. When your kids get up really early, the open presence, watch the sunrise, and then you can pray Emmanuel and try and redeem all of the lost sleep that you will probably not get. Pray Emmanuel. And so in just a moment, We're going to share the light of Christ all around this room. I invite us to darken the house lights so that we can allow this light, which represents the light of Christ, to illumine us, to guide us tonight. In a few moments, we will sing Silent Night. I want to invite us just to be as still as we can. And as we see this light being passed, notice that God is with us and his light is here to dispel your darkness.